I just got home from about a month of touring in the UK and Ireland, and the shows were great, really well attended, and I got to meet a lot of folks that listen to this show, and it's great to be able to put a face to the folks who are listening in, because I don't always get to do that. But the last week, I got sick and run down and sleep-deprived, and I just couldn't wait to get home, and I figured when I got home, I'd sleep for about a week. So I flew from Manchester to Atlanta, and then when I got to Atlanta, I got on the plane, and we sat on the runway for about an hour, and the pilot kept announcing every 10 minutes that they were waiting for a part to arrive so they could repair whatever was wrong with the plane. And finally, I'm looking out the window, and the maintenance man shows up, and he was carrying nothing but a roll of duct tape. Then the pilot got on the intercom and announced that everything was fixed, and we flew to Nashville. I shit you not. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Will Johnson. Will is a singer and a songwriter and a painter, and you probably know him from his bands Centromatic and South San Gabriel. He's also been part of a lot of different projects, and some of those are Monsters of Folk, Overseas, and the Undertow Orchestra. But you can find out everything you need to know about Will at will-johnson.com. I caught up with Will here in Nashville, we met up at our friend Tracy Thomas's house, and she was nice enough to let us record this in her guest bedroom. And uh, so we crammed in there, and we had a really nice conversation. And there's a lot to get to, so I'd like to jump right into it. Here's Will Johnson. I'm. Uh, my name is Will Johnson, and uh, I was born in southeast Missouri in the boot hill in a little town called Kennett. And uh, when I was 11 years old, my mom remarried, and that took us down to central Texas, and I've been in Texas ever since then. And I'm currently from Austin. Live in Austin. Whereabouts in Texas did you move with your mom? A military town called Colleen, about an hour north of Austin. I have this vision of uh, a kid in a military town who's uh, artistic, maybe not getting along with the other kids there were it there was an interesting cross-section without a doubt of uh of, of adolescent culture and when you mix uh when you mix you know the punk rockers and the skateboard kids in the mcdonald's parking lot with the uh, brand new like straight out of basic training gis that have been cut free you know from their homes and are out living on their own, and but you're merely separated by a year or two. You get some real interesting tension, and and some of those dudes really, really loved to pick on us. It was pretty funny. <clears throat> our our skin got thick pretty pretty early in those 
parking lots and you know those skateboarding ditches down by the mall and stuff like that those gis would always show up and want to they had a little something to prove i suppose but to go back to your question there weren't garage shows and things like that you know sometimes living room shows i know for sure in denton uh back when i was in college there would be living room shows and backyard shows very regularly and that was kind of where we found out about so many of the new bands that were starting to play around town. <clears throat> so, yeah, no basements, but we did what we could, you know. You're doing a living room tour right now, and um, when people ask me what that's like, I tell them it's a lot like when we were teenagers and we'd go to someone's garage or basement and watch a show. It's just we're grown up now. and Very much, yeah, very much so. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Someone, someone you know, a couple of years ago said, oh, this living room show thing, it's, you know, this is the future of music, and... In so many ways, I think maybe that's true, but my first thought was that this is the total past of music. This is how, you know, punk rock and indie rock bands did it back in the day, booking VFW halls or doing basement shows or going further back, you know, when the earliest humans went from cave to cave or village to village to entertain one another, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> so, so anyway, I don't know. I sort of thought of it as one of the earlier methods of touring but either way i do think it's um it's 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 a lot of fun because it does have a little bit of a, a secret you know element to it, a secret show sort of element to it which i really always enjoyed as a kid it was like knowing about something like that was a big deal there there weren't too many venues in the first place in denton so it was not always easy to get booked you know you usually have to get get stuff solidified way in advance. So if you wanted to do anything spur of the moment, it was just house party style. And that was very exciting, you know, even like putting flyers up the day of, you know, and seeing what the turnout might yield. But that was kind of how we had to do it, you know, and a lot of, a lot of bands couldn't get booked in the venues and they couldn't get booked in band, you know, in venues down in Dallas or Austin, or that maybe they didn't have means of travel. So they just did the house show kind of thing, but it was exciting. It was very fun. There seems to be a difference. I really hate the word house concert. Yeah, yeah. And there seems like a big difference between people who play house concerts and living room shows. Yeah. And the living room shows seems to have its birth back in basements and garages. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to hear how people refer to it as either a house concert, a house show, a living room show, a living room concert, like whatever their idea of it, you know, may be. But I guess I always just call them house shows or living room shows but um for some reason i associate the word concert with with production you know <laughs> with with lights and a backstage and you know and <clears throat> monitoring and actual pa system and things like that and i guess maybe that's just the 70s child in me but that's what concert meant you know it meant ted nugent or something so um but yeah, going you know with this, there's definitely a peeled back element to it, and I think it uh, the most the one of the most valuable things about it is that it kind of it it tends to put everybody on a neutral on a really neutral plane. I mean, literally, we're you know in someone's home that we've never been to before, most of us, and it's always fun to kind of pan around the room, and you can get an idea if a lot of people in the room know each other or if it's just full of a ton of people that don't know each other, but not unlike those, those punk rock shows or those, you know, basement shows back in the day, I think it encourages uh, a sense of community and it, 
It encourages communication amongst the showgoers. Sometimes it forges friendships. Uh, there's a couple that got engaged at one of my shows, like I guess back in February, which was a really big deal. And that stuff doesn't always happen down at the down at the Rock Club, you know. I mean, I I'm the first one to admit I I go to shows a lot of the time and just kind of find my spot and post up and watch the thing and enjoy it and you know hit the road and that's kind of it. You know, there's not a ton of interaction and with these, uh, I think it's a more fertile ground for for conversation and communication. I think that's a healthy thing. Uh, it was three weeks ago. I guess three weeks ago last night, to be exact. Not to calculate it, but uh, our band overseas, which involves David Bazan and Matt and Bubba Kadane and myself, we were on a West Coast run, and we had the day as a travel day fortunately there wasn't a show that night because we would have sure been screwed but uh we had just had a really nice supper together in ashland oregon we'd had a, the best show of, a, of the band's short history in portland the night before and i think everybody was really really good good spirits and we're driving along for maybe an hour hour and a half after that supper and we're we crossed the oregon to california border going southbound on five mount shasta to the left and uh we're in the small town of weed and uh listening to gillian welch and we're all just kind of zoning out you know no one said a word in about 10 or 15 minutes and we're quite intoxicated by the music and just enjoying the fall night and the stars and driving along and uh i was starting to doze off and it was just it was the loudest pop it was just like right against the front right side of the van and no one it happened so fast that no one was really even able to tell if it was a buck or a doe or a bear or (laughs) who knows (laughs) an ice cream trailer i don't know what we hit but we uh david was driving and he was uh very very cool under fire and he just you know I don't really think he had much chance to even consider trying to swerve out of the way. So he just barreled right through it. And we drove for another, you know, three quarters of a mile or so, just making sure that everybody was okay. Pulled over and sure enough, uh, the radiator had been busted and it was declared a total. It took the tow truck driver about an hour to get there and it was below freezing. It was getting a little chilly out there. And, uh, then it took him another hour, hour and a half to get the whole thing strung up because I don't think he was entirely sure of, uh, I think he was new and he spent a lot of the time on the phone with his supervisor making sure that he had everything locked down. But he wasn't coming clean with us on it. You know, he's like, I just got a couple more things to check. I'll be right back. And he's back on the phone. It's like, he could have just told us it's okay. But he, uh, He's a nice fellow. When the movie comes out, we'll see about getting John Goodman to play this guy because it'd be perfect. But um, anyways, he, you know, we're waiting in the truck because that's the only pl- source of heat, and we're crammed in there for a, a good hour, hour 15 at least. And he finally gets in the truck, and we start driving. We've got about 65 miles to go to the hotel, tow it to the hotel, and then deal, you know, wake up in battle mode the next morning deal with the claims adjuster and insurance and the 
auto body shop and getting the new rental and transferring all the gear and not missing, you know, the next show in San Francisco the next night. But as we're driving along, you know, he's, uh, he's struggling to stay awake <clears throat> and we're struggling to stay awake. So, you know, the, the conversation just for, uh, sustaining life purposes starts to crop up just to keep everybody awake and he asks you know he's kind of shaking his head and and uh, i kind of liked him from the start he was he seemed like a really easygoing guy he started telling stories about you know deer strikes and elk strikes and moose strikes and all that and he had a humor about him but he goes so what do you guys sound like you guys sound like quiet riot or peter gabriel <laughs> And I was, you know, I was curious and was like, those are our two choices, I guess. Those are the only two choices we have. So, you know, the answer was more like Peter Gabriel, I think. But, you know, if those are the two choices we have. But it was kind of exciting to hear, like, he just said it so fast. Like, those were his two world points of reference for music, <laughs> which I really liked. <laughs> So anyway, he dropped us off in the hotel parking lot about two in the morning, some five hours later, and and uh, yeah, we woke up in battle mode and found out quickly that all the gear and bags and humans fit into a Yukon the next day. Fine, and I think we inadvertently stumbled upon a new means of touring. <laughs> so the van was declared a total, sadly, and. Uh, but luck did have it that we were in Redding, California, and Bazan was coming back through there doing a living room show about eight or nine days later. So he was able to come back through, transfer the last of his stuff from the van, give it a proper farewell, procure a new vehicle, and take it all the way the rest of the way back up to Seattle on the rest of the living room tour. So in a way, there was some fortune involved, and we didn't miss a show. So, you know, all told, it could have been a lot worse for sure, without a doubt, and everybody was okay. The Gillian Welch CD didn't get harmed. I'll never hear it the same again. You know, it'll <laughs> always remind me of that time, but it's it's one of my favorite records, uh, pretty much just one of my favorite records, period. And uh, But, yeah, it'll always remind me of that, that sound of a deer hitting the front of the van. I'll never forget that sound. It was South by Southwest, I want to say 2003 or 2004. I should take that... I, that back i had seen him play at rubber gloves and in denton texas maybe in 99 or 2000 but i only just said hello and good show and shook his hand and kind of went on my way but um we really you know the first you know substantial meeting that we had where we had good conversation was i believe south by southwest 03 or 04 and he's standing on the northwest corner of sixth and red river and uh, i was we were each with, you know, some mutual friends and so forth and stopped talking or we stopped to talk. And uh, I guess there were three or four of us standing there on the corner talking. And he, uh, there was a pause in conversation. He's wearing an, an army jacket with like a black t-shirt with some sort of glitter uh, script on it or something like that. And um, I said, Hey Jason, my name's Will. And, uh, and he goes, Will Johnson songwriter, right? I said, yes, that's correct. And, um, He's like, yeah, we quickly discovered that we had a lot of mutual friends and we, you know, had uh, kind of supported each other from afar and been fans. And, and uh, anyway, we struck up conversation a little bit then and there. And I would, I saw him a time or two later down the line, but um, 
in 07 was when we started staying in very regular contact and emailing a lot and calling a lot. And that ramped up to the record that we made together in the winter, early spring of 08. There's one thing that still, uh, still really resonates with me. I think it will always resonate with me. It's just his, um, his dedication to songwriting and and his work ethic every day, uh, waking up and generally treating it as a, you know, it, it truly is a gift to, to be able to wake up and massage and work on lyrics and lines and verses and, and such. And I think every songwriter should definitely uh, realize that and respect it and treat it that way. But I've never seen one. Uh, I've never seen a songwriter work at it in the way that he did. <clears throat> um, it was really first thing in the morning up and riding and given we were in recording mode. So the juices are all kind of going and, and we're, uh, we're locked in on this record and this project and we're not entirely sure what it's going to be, but we had more than enough material even at the time. And he still, you know, he, he was so dedicated to really working lines over and, and melodies and, small guitar parts, things like that. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty diligent about that as a musician, but there were times where I felt like, you know, I'm really, I must, I feel really lazy. You know, this guy is a whirlwind of, uh, of, uh, of dedication and, and, uh, of activity from, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, basically until he can't, couldn't 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 stand up anymore it was just time to go to bed you know and he was still you know still writing and still uh working songs over and trying to make them as as good as they could possibly be and i really um i feel lucky to have paid witness to that for even just a week and a half that it took to make the record and i feel more lucky that we were able to share share time together and have a friendship and and uh make something together you know we continued to discuss the idea of circling back and and doing it again, and as a matter of fact, our last conversation centered around you know not if we'll get back together again, but when when we should get back together again. But um, but nonetheless, just grateful for that friendship for sure. Can you tell me if you don't mind uh, how you heard about his passing? Uh, Mikey from Magnolia called me <clears throat> the I guess that Sunday afternoon after, uh, and he just he reached out to me and we talked for a little while and and that was it so i guess it was i feel like it was the um it was the sunday of the south by southwest weekend in austin and everything was kind of wrapping up <clears throat> some friends were in town and and um, the news started to get around i guess later that night I first met Vic in maybe 99 at one of his shows in Dallas at the Gypsy Tea Room. And again, it was a similar thing with the Jason deal where we just had a few words and said hello. And then uh, I was I was always a little shy about meeting, meeting folks I admired so much without really having any true conversational ground to tread upon. You know, I, I'm, I'm still that way. I'm, unless there's a real reason for conversation, I don't approach them. But... um. In late 2005, <clears throat> uh, my manager Bob was managing Vic and managing David Bazan, who he still manages, and also Mark Eitzel. And the idea came up with Bob 
to uh, create this thing called the Undertow Orchestra, which involved all four of us. And um, so everybody was on board for it. I think we were all very excited about it from afar. And, you know, Vic and I had met and I had known Eitzel and toured with him a little bit prior to that. And I had known Bazan for maybe four or five years up to that point. So there's there was definitely some history and some background. And Vic and Mark had been old friends. I think there was a point where uh, where Vic, you know, Vic was such a huge Eitzel fan. You know, Vic follow him around every once in a while, go to shows and like, you know, just show up. But um, anyway, they had been friends for a long time, and so the idea cropped up to create this band and and go on tour, but make it a situation where we're not just swapping songs or you know playing separate sets or anything. Like we wanted to make it a true band. Uh, warts and all take it or leave it you know tons of wrong notes and probably thrown beers and things like that and it had a little bit you know we always had a little bit of a train wreck sort of uh thing to it but nonetheless i i think we worked real hard to serve each other's songs as well as we could so we met at vix in uh, early february of 2006 and rehearsed for three or four days and worked up I think 32 or 36 songs and then started the tour <clears throat> uh, at the 40 watt in Athens. But yeah, there were no solo songs or anything. We wanted to back each other and inevitably there's a ton, there's a lot more labor involved with that, you know, without a doubt. But at the same time, it's, it was so much more rewarding, I think to us just to not, you know, I don't know, to, to make it a true band. You know, Vic was always very adamant. He's like, we're a band. We're a band. We are a band, you know? like, And I love that because he was very dedicated to the band. He's like, we're, we're a band. We're not, we're not just four solo dudes, you know? And I loved that attitude. I thought it was in a, the, that mentality uh, took shape very early on. And I think a lot of the, um, the friendships strengthened very quickly and a lot of those bonds were created very, very early on in those rehearsals to where, uh, you know, it, it, it hopefully showed through in the shows. Hopefully it did. We had some really banner fun nights where I feel like we played incredibly well. And we had some nights where I feel like we played absolutely horribly. We were just awful some nights and that's okay because even still, I think there was enough, uh, there's a lot of there's some there's so much personality in Vic and his banter alone that could carry a show when things were falling apart. He could just he could uh, disarm the entire audience and diffuse the whole situation and make it, I think, truly enjoyable for people. And you know, it's one of many many things that I miss about him. It's so much. It's him so much. Yeah, um, it's 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 an incredibly humbling experience uh, because the the focus is on the kids. I mean, no one. You're, I don't think anybody should act like rock stars anyway. But you, especially, you know, in uh, in those environs where the focus is on the kids and the uh, it is all about the school and the kids are on stage with the bands. They're they're up there with you. Uh, it is incredibly grounding and and an honor to be a part of of something like that. And I was told going in that it would be something truly special, but but coming out of it, it was uh, 
it was something I'll never forget. It was an incredibly uh, well-run, beautiful, uh, spiritual experience to be there playing music <clears throat> and to share some time, just to share some time, obviously, with with uh, Neil and Peggy Young, but also with the kids. Well, for the people that don't know, can you describe what Bridge School Benefit is? It's an annual benefit that's uh, put on for the Bridge School, which I believe, uh, I have to look, make sure, but I believe Neil and Peggy founded. Um, but they've been doing this for 30 years, it seems like now, maybe a little bit more, but they have it every October in, uh, in, uh, out in California. And uh, it's it's a two-night sort of deal, and it's a very diverse. It's usually quite a diverse lineup of bands. I think the year that we played, it was you know like the singer from Bush, and then it was uh, Wolf Mother, and then the Fleet Foxes, and then Jimmy Buffett played, and Adam Sandler played, and Sheryl Crow played, and of course Neil finishes out the night. But um, anyway, it's it's a it's a really cool, diverse group of folks, and uh, what what they'll do on Friday night is uh, Neil and Peggy invite the bands out to the ranch for supper, and um, so yeah, we took a, you know, we all took a, a shuttle bus up there, and and uh, it was a it was a heavy situation just because just for the setting itself, but there was a little bit of a subcontext in my own little story because <laughs> I come from the same town as Cheryl Crow, and um, her mom taught me piano for years. And our families knew each other. We went to the same church. And her and her sister Karen used to babysit me when I was, you know, four or five. And I had not seen Cheryl since she had, you know, become this version of Cheryl Crow. And our mothers, being so sweet, they put us uh, back in touch with each other. And so we're emailing in advance of the whole thing. She was on that particular year's bridge school benefit as well so we're communicating it's like come find me at neil's you know come find me say hello and so anyway my wife and i get out of the shuttle bus with a bunch of people and 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 peggy young and elliot roberts are there on the front steps you know kind of greeting everybody and you know we're all kind of walking up saying our names and hello 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 and 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 i say hello to peggy and she's like now what's your name it's like my name is will johnson she goes I will. Oh, Cheryl's by the bonfire looking for you. <laughs> and it, it made me laugh so hard. It was just like, this is a very strange and kind of surreal experience so far. But, um, and it got weirder too, uh, in that, uh, as the night went on, I mean, the house is gorgeous and it's such a great setting. And, uh, just the feel is really good. And it's, again like the the general like just the general po feeling of positivity is really really overwhelming out there and it's it's a beautiful space and so my wife and I were walking through the uh we're kind of going through the buffet line and um we're some of the last to go through and we're looking for a place to sit and there's nowhere I mean the, the entire like all the tables are packed and we just kind of keep walking we kind of walk along the exterior of the house and there's still no nowhere to sit and we get kind of to the end and we're just about deciding well we'll just go eat like on the hillside or over by the pool or something like that but we come 
uh, we come kind of to the end of the tables and there's one table with a couple of chairs at it. It was, and, and at the table was, uh, my neighbor from Bastrop, Texas, Gary Briggs, who has worked with Neil for years and Spooner Oldham and Peggy Young and Neil Young and then two empty chairs. And Jesse just kind of looks at me and she's like, this place, this seems like a pretty good spot. And I was like, yeah, this seems like a perfect spot. Let's just sit here and see if they shoo us away. <laughs> you know? And quite fortunately, my pal Gary was waving us over like, come over here, come sit here. And she's like, okay, that seems, yeah, we'll sit there. And it was great. We wound up having, you know, we sat there for, an hour or so just talking about kids and plant life and gardening and, you know, not rock and roll. And it was, uh, it's something I'll never forget. It was really, really nice. It was a very nice conversation. I didn't want to talk about music. Just wanted to talk about, I just, I don't know, want to talk about raising kids and doing things like that. <laughs> Isn't that the way it always is though? You just, you don't want to talk music with folks. You just want to talk about whatever. Most of the time, I don't. No, I just would rather talk about baseball or, you know, or, <laughs> or home improvement or something. You know? <laughs> kind of was, yeah. I, I, I was, and, and I, I try to figure out why. And, and the best thing I could come up with, there just wasn't a lot else to do in Kenton, Missouri. You know, I mean, it was either play sports and ride bikes or you know wind up getting in trouble somehow we just didn't you know we didn't have a lot of uh, a ton of art or music programs necessarily or like a lot of other distractions the kids just got out in the street and played ball and um and so i took an interest in it and and you know those i guess i i became a baseball fan pretty early on i became a cardinals fan i would say maybe 78 or 79 that seemed those are my first memories of you know watching cardinals games on a regular basis or listening to those calls on the radio and uh, so you know and then the the 82 team was such a great story and filled with so many incredible personalities and <clears throat> one of my favorite players and ozzy smith and that was it was it was eternal love from from that point for sure did you have the sports illustrated highlight thing the uh, wizard of oz yes yes i think that's the greatest highlight tape yeah. of all time yeah i watched that with a friend of mine about three years ago actually on the west coast it was really <laughs> we stayed up late watching that <laughs> but so yeah i've stayed true to them you know over the years for sure i've and you know i've I have a I have a little bit of an American League crush on the Oakland A's, but the Cardinals are my you know they're my main they're my my main squeeze for sure. <laughs> I, I grew up a Reds fan, yeah. you know, always been a Reds fan, but yeah. I have this hatred for the Cubs, yeah. which makes me have this love for the Cardinals. Yeah, it's kind of strange. It's a strange energy in the in the Central. You know, it's like I feel I feel like I'm supposed to have this deep seated you know dislike for the Reds, but I can't because that organization i love the reds of the 70s you know like i i really dug those teams and those players and and that's still i, I still harken back to those connotations and just those those awesome players and and the big red machine and so it's kind of hard for me like to it's almost a sibling thing in the central you know it's like i can talk tra trash about my brother but you can't sort of thing or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a little bit of that 
I mean, the Cubs Cardinals thing is a little different, I suppose. They they get a little ugly sometimes, but even with the Brewers, it's that way too. It's just like, but yeah, I did. I, I kind of I started messing around with the baseball painting thing. I guess about five or six years ago, and it was really a product of moving into uh, moving into an apartment on my own and not having much stuff to fill the walls. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to make some stuff and hang it up, and I'll pay tribute to some of my favorite players and my favorite baseball stories through these folk art style paintings and just fill the walls that way. And then that kind of evolved into a few friends asking, you know, or commissioning like, Hey, will you make me one? And then that went to, you know, the occasional art show, I guess, starting a year or two later. And, um, so I've just kind of kept with it, but I still approach it in the same way with, with, um, respect for the history of the game and the individuals that have played it and their stories, especially some of the lesser known or more under the radar type players. Uh, it's, it's just a, a way to pay respect and hopefully pay some pay tribute unless it's like Roger Clemens or something like that. And then it's, <laughs> you know, then it's open season. <laughs> but. It is. It, it's been an interesting experiment so far, and I'm still. I still consider myself um, in you know the early stages of it, and I'm in, in an apprent, apprenticeship of sorts with it. But <clears throat> it is kind of interesting. It's been interesting doing the art show thing because there are a lot of there are just a lot of baseball fans that come out and they want to they want to come to a place to check out paintings and just talk baseball and drink beer all night, but they don't some of these individuals have no idea about the music that we make or our bands or anything like that. And, uh, and then there are other people that are maybe fans of the music that are just like, who made these paintings? You know, like, so there's, there's definitely, uh, there's some separation, I guess, between the two worlds, but, but that's part of the fun. It doesn't have to be any one thing. It's just, like I say, it's just a, a, a way to hopefully pay respect and, and, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm, it's I'm I'm clearly not schooled, or you know, I'm not schooled. So I just kind of try to do it with spirit and with with something that has some soul to it. And if it if it comes out looking like, and and, and if it if a painting comes out in a way that I really like and I'm feeling proud of, then I'll I'll take it out of the house and show it at a show or whatever, or give it to someone. Baseball's yeah. such a a different sport where you really. You're really invested in it. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when Eric Davis hit his first home run as a red. I yeah. remember uh, when Mookie Wilson slid in the second to break up a double play and ended Ron Oster's career. Yeah. I remember where I was for that. And uh, there's not a lot of sports that you remember those sort of things. It's a talking sport, and it's definitely, you know, it seems to be one of the most written about sports, if not the most written about sport. And I think that's a product of it being 162. There's more material to write about with 162 games plus playoffs per year. You know, there's just so much more activity going on in that <laughs> literally. So there's inevitably more to write about, but, but yeah, those moments are so crystal clear. Like I'll never forget where I was when, uh, as a matter of fact, I was talking to a friend about this the other day and we, she was asking, she's like, are you, are you really, heartbroken i send my condolences about the world series i said yeah you know i'm disappointed but at the same time at least i didn't ever i'd never reverted back into my 14 year old brain which you know in 1985 when dinkinger missed the call at first base in game six i i i threw a full slurpee a full cherry slurpee at the television 
And man, I got in trouble. <clears throat> but I was so upset. I just took it so personally, you know, and I still do sometimes, but I, you know, I'm able to harness it and just go out in the yard and take a walk around for a second and then come back in. <laughs> but um but the slurpy stain, you know, below the TV was still there when my folks sold the house 15 16 years later we never could quite get the whole thing out and it was always a memory of dinkinger every time i'd see that stain i would remember the missed call from game six and just get sad (laughs) 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 so yes you're right we remember those moments pretty vividly (laughs) sometimes there are physical there's physical evidence of those moments in the floor and the walls not a violent person it was just a slurpee you know whatever it's cheap tv i appreciate you meeting up with me and chatting with me thank you otis it's been a joy it's been a lot of fun thanks for letting me tell some bizarre stories about deer and (laughs) and slurpee tantrums (laughs) (laughs) try to stay safe out there on the road will i'm trying to drive during daytime hours predominantly on this tour i'm trying to stay away from the night drives so okay it keeps me behaving at night because i know i have to get up early so it's okay (laughs) thank you man thanks a lot i'd like to thank everybody for listening in and i'd like to thank will for meeting up with me at our buddy tracy thomas's house here in east nashville you can find out more about will at will-johnson.com If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.